0: Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. Today, I'm joined, as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube right now by Sam 48 from the Washington Post. We're going to talk about the news of the day, which is Carson Wentz back as a starting quarterback. Sam I'm shocked by this move. I mean really nobody is. But I mean but I am curious. There are ramifications for this move. I am curious though your thoughts. I gave my thoughts on the live YouTube uh, live stream show with Bram the other night, but I want your thoughts. What did you think about Ron going back to Carson Wentz? I'll
1: do my best to give some analysis on Carson Wentz and not Make fun of your intro and and everything like that, but I would say yeah, this is really unsurprising. Ron, you know, kind of explained today as as they need a spark, and I think that anybody that's been watching this offense can can understand that. Particularly going vertical, the thing that that sticks out to me, at least in Carson Wentz's play, is is how quickly he got the ball out last week, and obviously I think that'll be tough probably to sustain because you know they were playing a lot of soft coverage, they were up late you know, in the fourth quarter, but to me, when you talk about, I mean, Terry McLaurin spoke about it as locker today, the throw that that Carson made against cover two, hitting that whole shot down the right sideline, you know, in the second half against Jacksonville in week one, obviously that was a long time ago, but that is the throw that Carson can make that Taylor can. And Terry said, you know, when Carson's in the lineup, you have to run that route live. And I think that is, you know, if you want to distill it all the way down, that's why Ron's making this move when you need to make a playoff push.
0: And I think to that point, and and Logan Thomas talked about today about um, Carson. You know, the defenses have to honor his arm a lot more. And I think there are some other throws he made. The throw there's some throws that Taylor Taylor can make that Carson or that Carson did make the other day. The throw to Curtis Samuel for the touchdown, a very nice throw. But I do think you're right. I think it's the ability to threaten all parts of the field, which is what they wanted from Carson Wentz doing that. And do you feel they're in a better position now to do that? just because maybe the, is the offense more diverse now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. When Scott Turner says, what is the offensive identity? And he says, I want to win in every different way, you know, being able to run on third and short, being able to pass in, in third and 10, obviously you, you saw earlier in the season and, and with Taylor and Carson, they have not been able to throw on those third and 10 situations. And I think that that is probably more attributable uh, to the line, particularly with when Taylor's been back there. Um, but it, but yeah, I, th- I think they are more diverse and kind of going back to, that throw against Jacksonville, just because it's fresh on my mind and spoke about it with Terry today. He said only five to seven quarterbacks in the league can make that throw, you know, kind of uh, on the opposite hash. And and that's just, that's just the type of throw that Carson can bring you. Obviously he does have a lot of downsides as well, but when you talk about, you know, having to defend or having to honor certain parts of the game, that's what he's talking about.
0: And that's the enticing part of him. And I think the one thing that I wonder about is does Scott Turner, fall back in love with that ability or do they stick with their identity what do you think happens
1: i think you have to stick with his identity because if you go back and look at Carson in the Indianapolis offense last year i think the reason that it was successful in the big picture was because they relied on Jonathan Taylor they kept Carson out of a lot of those you know half to true drop back situations and i think that's where this washington offense will excel as well and and obviously you know when i think back to those first couple games a part of, you know, especially in weeks two and three, Carson had to throw a lot because they were down. The defense was so porous. Um, They were down in the second half. They had to do a lot of that stuff and play action wasn't going to work. So he was not set up to succeed. You also didn't have Brian Robinson, who's really keyed this downhill running approach. And so to me, this is sort of an interesting experiment because if, if you can go back to the formula that Carson had in Indianapolis, can he be good? in the big picture, but can he also win those games? Like he didn't do last year. And he said today, you know, he really tries not to think about that situation,
0: but it is funny because he's in the same situation with us. I don't remember what the record was. They may have been and one, but they, they needed to win one of their last two and they couldn't do it. So he needs to really needs to win last two to ensure yourself for the playoff spot, but sticking with him first, what did you see from the San Francisco game? And one little thing for me that stood out was not just the Samuel throw, but really there was a throw to Gibson in the flat. It was there was a there was an overload blitz coming and just boom boom balls out and you're right like they were playing a little bit off at times and gave him some stuff but they were trying to bring pressure but what stood out to you from that game that said that maybe he is different as far as his knowledge and familiarity with the offense and comfort level
1: yeah I think kind of what you were just saying how he handled pressure because San Francisco blitzed six times on sixteen dropbacks and you know, most first downs but. The way that he was able to adjust, there was also, you know, a nickel blitz where right before the snap, Jimmy Ward, the the nickel comes in and he just flips it out on the the third and one and they convert. And so to me, that was really impressive because he noticed and adjusted right away. If you look at it, his his time to throw metric as measured by True Media was 2.07 seconds. Uh, last week, which was, you know, obviously it wasn't a full game, but that was the lowest average amount of time he'd had in in 92 career appearances. And so that just gives you a sense of how quickly he was getting the ball out of his hands. I don't think that you'll see that sustained because obviously you're, you know, you're going to have a different game plan. You're going to want to hold the ball longer at certain points, but that number just distilled to me. Okay. You know, he knew that in this situation, this is what I'm going to get. And this is what I got to do. And he was able to go execute
0: it. Right. And I thought that's one of the things that you, you could tell right away that it would seem to be a little bit different. Um, do you think again, that they will stay with the ball control play action game? Cause it does fit what he does, you know? And so I think I just would like to think that they're going to, but I don't know. Are you confident of that?
1: No, because I think you've seen Scott Turner get away from their identity at times, particularly in the first half of that Sunday Night Football loss to to New York. I'm not entirely confident that they will maintain a cohesive identity, particularly when you have so many receivers that that you want to unlock. And in the locker room after that San Francisco loss, I was talking to Terry McLaurin, and over and over he emphasized, we got to be more explosive. We have to be more explosive. If this offense is going to do what it has to do, then we have to be more explosive. And so, you know, to me, that was a subtle endorsement of, of of Carson Wentz because Taylor Heineke, you know, for all the magic that he brings is just not an explosive quarterback. He can hit some of those downfield throws every once in a while. But if you talk about stretching the field vertically, um, that's what that's what they need to do, have that arm strength as we've talked about. But to me, it, it seems like if, if the line can give them the protection that they need, and I don't think that's a guarantee either, then they'll at least take more shots.
0: And my, if I had a formula for him, you stick with the run game, but it's hitting, it's not just throwing more, it's hitting more down the field. So to me, it should be, where are you hitting those throws? So if you're, if you're around 30 passes, they, they were up in the forties with him the first time, you can't, they're not built to win that way, but you can get in the low thirties, but hitting more stuff down the field. That's where you get your chunk plays, and and
1: as Logan Paulson, who I know has done you know great appearances on this podcast, I was talking to him, and I think the thing that he pointed out about that Giants game is a lot of those shots in the in the first half of the Giants game were not in the structure of the offense. They were you know the flea flicker or true drop back, just things that you don't see that they don't excel in. And so if Scott Turner can find the play action, the bootleg, some of those things that that sort of give misdirection and help Carson Wentz out a little bit if they take shots in the structure of the offense, I think they have a much higher likelihood of being successful.
0: And I will point out based on true media. And that's, that's, I know that's, (laughs) it's your favorite, but I love staying on there, but the next two opponents do not stop the run very well. And they are two of the worst teams against yards per pass attempt against play action. So it sets up well if they run it. Now, clearly they know what they're going to do. But anyways, so that's different thing. What did you think about the reaction to in the locker room to to this move?
1: I like you flexing that true media, bringing in the stats. <laughs> hey,
0: listen, I've, I've lived on that for a while. Yeah. Not as much as you maybe right now,
1: but I've lived on it for a while. Yeah, Pete Haley didn't get you the Christmas gift that said, I love true media. Um, but, I, I mean, the reaction, I guess, to me was was sort of as to be expected. I think they all – Understood. Brian Robinson was probably the most direct, saying that the players kind of maybe anticipated this happening. Obviously, Logan Thomas, who's a close friend of Taylor's, you know, pointed out, hey, there are some things that we can do with Taylor that we can't do with Carson, but ultimately this is it's a business and you you just got to play with uh with the guys that you got. But I think that it it made sense mostly. I talked to Cornelius Lucas, the right tackle a little bit, and he said, you know, there will be a period of adjustment where be, he said, because Carson is taller, he does not have to drop back as far to see, and so that will change how the line um, sets, different guys plays, different guys. You know that will change probably how how lines attack them, um, maybe not going up and around as much. So I think that this is going to have a lot, you know, a big adjustment period for everybody. Uh, but obviously, they have to do it pretty quickly.
0: They do, and it's funny because the size when they when they got Wentz, that was one of the things they talked about is in some of the quick game throws too. Getting the ball, seeing over the line, and getting out really quick. So that 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 boded it boded it, it boated, it boated well. Boated, it's not boded. No, is that boded?
1: Yeah, boded well.
0: God bless. I didn't know that. Okay, <laughs> it's boded well for their short, their quick game. So that is that is a factor. So I'm glad that you you brought that up. But do you think? because I haven't sensed any sort of divisiveness in there and I've covered a lot of these over the years, but have you sensed anything where people, where you feel like people might not like this move or do you think it's kind of like, Hey, this is what we have to do.
1: I could, uh, I could totally see Logan or some of, you know, Taylor's closer friends being upset about it saying, you know, Hey, what was working? You know, it was working with Taylor. Why do we have to move on? But I don't think that there was – they could be hiding it well, but I didn't sense any acrimony or, you know, really people being upset. And I think that, like you said, like I've covered teams before where people have made moves and people have obviously been upset about it, you know, playing out of position or feeling like they're being unfairly criticized. And and I I sort of believe that Carson and Taylor have a pretty strong relationship just because of how Taylor reacted when Carson first got brought in. And then I think how Carson reacted, um, you know, to them sticking with Taylor – seem to be pretty genuine, which is obviously a notable shift from how teammates have talked about Carson in the past.
0: Absolutely. And and, and the way I think Taylor handles this too, Taylor is a popular guy, but it's, you know, I don't think that people dislike Carson in there either. So I think that's kind of key. I think what they ultimately want to do is win. And so whoever gives them that best chance, but there is now pressure on Wentz to go and produce because not only do the players like him, you're going home and you got the fan base also likes this kid too. How much pressure is there on Carson? I think a lot. I
1: mean, not just, I mean, there's the, the personal aspect, you know, erasing the the failures of last year and he's kind of fighting at this point for his viability as an NFL starting quarterback and, you know, all the things that he has going on and then the team obviously is making a postseason push. This has um, been a, a difficult year, I think, in a lot of ways, but, you know, they, they've played pretty well. They've put themselves in a position to make the the jump that Ron Rivera has said that they would. So Carson personally and the franchise in general have a lot riding on these last two games, particularly because These are not San Francisco 49ers caliber opponents. These are beatable. I mean, Dallas obviously is a strong team, but considering where they might be at, if they rest people, these are two winnable games that you have to actualize.
0: This is getting into a postseason discussion, but this is important for Wentz in the future here. I mean, do you, you know, what are your thoughts on him as a future quarterback here?
1: Well, I would I would actually ask you that because I wonder if Carson can earn a future here in two games. Do you think that that is possible?
0: I do because I think if you go out, let's see how he looks. But if you go out there and you have two really good games, get a playoff berth, do well in the playoffs, then it's like, well, that's the guy that they thought they traded for. The question then becomes, what do you do with the contract? So then are you – to? I think 26.7 is a lot for only a few – for a small sample size of success. So I think – but, yes, I do think he can, but you've got to play well enough to show growth to see full offseason back into training camp. But I don't think you can commit the kind of money that right now it would take. And if you go – if you have to go out and replace him as a quarterback – you're paying, what are you, you're going to pay for D? If you want a decent quarterback, you're going to pay at least in the 20s. So if you can kind of get him restructured a little bit, but yeah. So yeah, I do think there's a way he can do that. I, but he's got to play well. So I, I think it would take a lot to, I, I think he's got to play well and, and go from there.
1: Yeah, and, and your point is totally fair. Like if if not him, then who? You know, are you gonna have a, a good enough draft position to get one of the guys? What do you think of the class? Or, you know, do you think that a guy who could become available like a Derek Carr is an upgrade? Right. I think all those things you have to take into consideration. But to me, if he comes out and if he is more or less Indianapolis Wentz over however many games they have, is is that worth it to you? Because Coming into this year, I think that Scott Turner and Ron probably thought, Hey, we can fix Wentz, you know, in the same way that Frank Reich did. And if you can't fix Wentz, if you're really just kind of I mean, he's he turned 30 today. Uh, and so I think that are you willing to commit the the resources to that level of play? I don't know because I don't know. If, if his ceiling doesn't get much higher, do you then say, Hey, let's go, let's go gamble in the draft or let's gamble with Sam Howell?
0: And I think I think that's a good point. And I with the one thing when you say fix Wentz too, I think it's a mistake anytime a coach thinks they can fix somebody because they're not fixing them. You got to work around the flaws and, and cover that up. And I felt like the with the way the offensive line was built, they did not do that. And I think that was true not just for him, but for Heineke too. So in fairness, like one thing I would always stress too. I certainly don't blame Heineke for all the issues that they've had. I think the kid played his butt off, and I think he did as well as he could. I think there's some offensive shortcomings that maybe they feel they can improve upon with Wentz, but I don't I don't think it's fair to just lay all the blame at his feet. It just so happens that the one area where you can try to make a change, you have Carson Wentz sitting there, who you acquired in the offseason, and felt like he was the best quarterback going into to the, into camp and into the season. So, um, but yeah, the car thing will be interesting to watch. That's a whole another discussion in the off season, but you know, you're right. I think there's a gamble. There's a gamble in all of this. And it's, you know, it speaks to Rivera too, because this is the guy they brought in, but there's a gamble for him too.
1: Yeah. And and I think that when you go back to them, making that initial decision, this, that was predicated on them. I know that, you know, fixing guys, you, you made a great caveat there, but could you get him to do enough and and I just I am skeptical that unless you go on a, a deeper playoff run than I think most people are expecting, that you could see enough to give yourself confidence, particularly because I think, like you said, you're you're in a little bit of a flawed evaluation period because I think your offensive line limits not only what you can do, but what Scott Turner can call. So I think in the offseason, I'm I'm fascinated. The offensive underperformance, when Ron Rivera goes through it and he says, Okay, how much of it was Scott? How much of it was the, the roster that we built, how much of it was the quarterback play? He's going to have to sift through that and determine, you know, uh, he's going to have to put portions of blame on each thing and figure out how do we fix this. Because if, if if you told me right now, hey, the the guard, the interior line, and their inability to get out in space, and that forcing us to use play action and some of these gadgets. Like we think Carson could be better. I could be sold on that, but uh I don't know how much better Carson can right. play.
0: Well, and that's the thing. And I agree with that. I think the question then becomes what alternatives do you see for yourself? That's going to be, the, that's always the key, right? So if you see alternatives, you say, okay, like did they like Derek Carr better? And is are the Raiders going to move on from him? And if you did, might say well we have a chance to upgrade here and when i say we i mean them talking so sometimes people don't understand <laughs> that so um but when but you know do they do they think like that do you see the upgrade and if you do then i could see something different but if what if it's like last year where it's like you you swing and a miss on a, on some guys and then what so and i don't know that you want to go into year four with a going into the draft and doing that um but you know with i don't know
1: Right. And I think that a lot of this, there are a lot of moving pieces that they're going to have to figure out. Because one of the things that would fascinate me is if if you do decide to pay Duran Payne and you keep him, and, and let's say you also pay, you know, let's say you keep Wentz's contract, I mean, that is gonna that is going to necessitate some serious squeezing at other positions. And as we saw, when you bring on Carson and you say, okay, we're gonna make the line a little bit of an afterthought and, and we're gonna just pick up, you know, two former Panthers who we think are going to fill in that has had mm-hmm. serious devastating consequences. So I think that there are a lot of moving pieces and, and quarterback is certainly obviously number and, one.
0: And I would be clear. I, you can't off a couple of games. You can't pay the 26.7. I, so I think the only way you do that is say, okay, You liked him because, you know, keep in mind, like usually you make a trade like that. You think you want to keep them. You probably give them some guaranteed money on that deal. There is no guaranteed money. So what do you do with the contract? You give them some and maybe lower the cap hit over the next couple of years. That's where you, that's where I think anything would happen. And I, you know, and we haven't talked about Sam Howell for all the Howellians out there. And I'm not trying to ignore him, but like we don't know where he's going to be at. We know that he's a fifth round pick. They like, they like how he's developed, but then they're, I think they're intrigued by him for next year but we're talking intrigued is not the same as you know you a surefire starter so you're going to have to put others in the mix so but i did for that's that's for the Howellians. but but i right i mean that's
1: yeah i mean it's a a pretty i mean there's a pretty vocal contingent and i get that i think that i I get that he has an intriguing skill set and he's unknown and that's mysterious and you like to project but to me i I just don't think you know obviously you can't go to him this year because of his inexperience and I th- I think that could, would be honestly maybe an insult to to some players who are who are trying to cool. make a playoff push right now. But what he could be in the future is fascinating and I don't think anyone including us have a great read on
0: where he's at. I'm not going to dismiss anything with him for the future. It's it's all about who is the best guy right now and clearly it's only two guys to discuss. But for the when we're talking future quarterbacks, he's going to be in the mix in terms of he'll be here So he'll have a chance to impress them. And I think that's where, then it's like, well, so where do you go with that? Do you just, do you let Heineke walk and you have Carson Wentz and then you have Sam Howell as your guy, maybe get another young guy in here. I don't know, but that, that's all, that'll be future stuff. Last thing on, on, on this team, because I think we've talked the quarterback a little bit to death, which is okay. That's what we do. Chase Young, I did want to bring him up because I haven't talked a lot about him uh, on the podcast this week. But what did you think about his performance? Um, my two cents, it seemed like the more he played, the more comfortable he got, the more, the less tentative he got. And you started, I think there were a couple of plays early where it didn't seem like he wanted to get into the play quite as much, wasn't quite sure. Um, and later in the game, I saw him pursuing, you know, get to the quarterback, balls out pursuing to the ball. And you started to see, you saw some pass rushes that I thought against Trent Williams, where I thought he showed like, wow, that's for a guy who hasn't played in 13 months. That's really good. What did you see? I
1: I would echo many of your points. And I think that there was one run, um, which was, I think it hit on the, on the right guard or the left guard, but he basically ended up being in that play. And after that, I saw him get a little bit more active. Um, I actually thought his awareness, he was tough. I thought he was aware. The thing that stood out to me was, you know, that third down where he noticed McCaffrey flaring out of the backfield and he got a hand up and and ended up batting the pass away, which, which was a really nice play. Uh, the chase down tackle of, of McCaffrey was impressive. Um, and you know, he didn't generate any pressure. Um, but his ability, I think, to, to force Trent Williams off his spot and, and you know power rushing, that to me, not only was the strength good to see and, and him trusting the leg, but I thought that he used a lot of power rushes in a way that he wasn't earlier last year. He was trying to do the speed rush. He was trying to you know loop around, trying maybe some more finesse moves. And I thought that he was at his best, especially in his rookie year, with the power rushes. And so to see him working on that aspect of his game, Um, I thought was really intriguing
0: I agree I'm glad you brought that up because the one thing we always talk about the stutter steps you really didn't see I think there was one time I saw kind of a mini stutter steps by and large you get he's getting into guys picking a half exploding with power because when he does that his hands are violent and I think Trent Williams saw that a couple times so I'm glad you brought that up
1: and and one of the other impressive things was he read that screen that they tried to run to McCaffrey and and ended up you know forcing them into a sack and you know, he, 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 said that he talked to Trent Williams after and said, you know, tell your OC, don't, don't run it over here. And like, I, I think that some people, when, uh, when they hear Chase talk, especially when he was struggling last year and, and taking a long time to come back this year, you know, you see that and you kind of roll your eyes. Where's your production? You haven't, you know, you haven't done anything to have this talk, but I think that, uh, swagger is, is an intrinsic part of Chase Young's game and to see him building that back, um, was you know encouraging for the commanders
0: i would say you noticed him out there this was not a guy like you you noticed him out there and i think you felt him out there i think they did too because even the one time where he stuns trent trent the guards got to come over and help so i think they noticed him and i think that was to me if i'm Washington that's the encouraging part is that his presence was felt out there what's it going to look like over the next two weeks I guess we'll find out anyway that's it for me thanks to Sam for joining me thank you for tuning in I'll be back on Friday night on the podcast Saturday morning on YouTube with keys and predictions to the Commanders-Browns game Sam tell them where you they can find your work
1: I'm on Twitter at Sam the number four TR SAM the number four TR and at the Washington Post
0: this is a big highlight for you, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> I mean, there's there's nothing better after a long day
0: of availability than coming in here and doing the pod. There you go. For free. Thank you. thank you. <laughs> anyway, thank you.
1: That's, that's not true. You're, you brought in some cookies today.
0: There was a miscommunication. Oh, yeah, there was. Um, anyway, thank you very much, and I will talk to you next time.